Yes, I know. We did a show two weeks ago, and we're doing another one. Well, three weeks ago, and we're doing another one. I know. I know. It's not eight months between episodes. I apologize for that. Welcome back. Anyway, uh, second show of the Maiden uh, review. Kinda. We're not going to review them, per se. I don't believe in reviews, because... First of all, who am I to tell any of those people that they've sucked? I can tell you how I feel about it. Uh, so let's call it discussion. Second episode of our discussion about Maiden. Today we'll be talking about Killers. A couple of things you should know about the album if you don't know it by now. You may never ever ever know me. Um, album was released on February 2nd, 1981 in the UK. On 6681, it was released on the USA, in the USA. Um, that was the final album with Paul Diano before he was dismissed from the band. Uh, only made an album to have two instrumental tracks. It's a Martyrs, the opening track, and Genghis Kong, or Genghis Kong, or... Hey, I'm trying. And, um, yeah, you should know that the original Australian version of the album also included... The band's cover of Women in Uniform, which was released as a single in 1980, and the Castle Records 1995 bonus disc, which I have! I found it! I found it! It has the live tracks, which originally appeared on uh, Made in Japan. We are going to discuss Made in Japan next week, so we should have a quicker episode for you guys. We're going to call it a bonus episode. Uh, it'll be Made in Japan, Women in Uniform, single... And um, their original EP before they started the live one. And I think we got our grubby hands into a longer cut of the Maiden EP. So, I'm excited. Anyway, this episode was kind of long. We talk about a lot of shit. And I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, old school metalheads are going to be very angry at Anthony. Uh, but he does not give a shit. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you all for the downloads for the last episode. That was sweet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I know I was only expecting four downloads, which was my fiancé, Anthony, Paul, and myself. So anybody else who did listen to it, thank you. I'm working on some music with Buzz, my former guitarist for Dead Rights. So I may use some of those riffs in here soon. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm just excited about that. And then I'm also excited about the new Dead Rights album, which you should listen to. Just listen to it. And if you hate it, don't tell me you hate it. If you love it, you can tell me you love me. Well, I don't give a shit. Just tell me whatever. Anyway, love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, see you on the road.
Well, hello guys. Today we are back in the saddle for the second show of our who knows how many part shows in about Iron Maiden's discography because we love Maiden and hate ourselves. So <laughs> today, once again, I got the master of disaster on the sweet, sweet uh, lead guitar for Dead Rights, sweet Paul Catapano. How you doing today, Paul? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. Sweet. And then on the other hand, I'm Anthony Williams. Hey, what's up? How you doing, Roddy? Hey, I'm doing great. <laughs> um, anyway, um... So in our in, in my neck of the woods has been a pretty hectic week. I've uh, been working on doing interviews for Dead Rights, and we've been um, trying to set up what to do next. And the uh, back end, the back end part of, of of having a band is not as fun as the front end band of actually playing shows. Um, but um, it's been. It wasn't as fulfilling as last week because last week we had some 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 songs uh, charting on a couple of radio stations. And that was beautiful. This week was way, way, way more quiet, but we'll see how that goes. How about you, Paul? What you been up to? Not a whole lot of anything crazy, you know, just kids in school and kind of practicing, keeping up my chops. I, I don't, uh, you know, planning for my trip to Arizona in a few weeks. And uh, yeah, I mean... I live a pretty, uh, pretty, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's chaos free, but it's a pretty simple life. <laughs> <laughs> and how about Anthony of the three of us, we play in bands, you don't, and you always have the most exciting life. What did you do <laughs> last week? Uh, so I was at Dragon Con last weekend. Well, do, um, do tell. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this was my ninth Dragon Con. Um, so I've, I've been every year that I've lived in Georgia. Uh, I normally do a lot of Doctor Who stuff, as you would kind of expect, given that I am a Doctor Who podcaster as well. Um, but I also spoke on a couple of British culture panels and uh, a panel that was uh, called The Unholy Trinity of Hard Rock. So we were covering Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple, which was a lot of fun. So I was uh, flying the flag for... Uh, Dio era Sabbath when everyone else just wanted to talk Aussie. <laughs> Got so, it. That was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I love Dio era Sabbath. Um, my favorite Black Sabbath album is actually The Humanizer. That's probably the heaviest. Yeah, I, I love that. I have nothing against the Aussie era at all, but I just love the way Dio did did his thing. And I think that by the time they did the humanizer, he had found his groove because maybe, you know, I, I love, you know, Neon Knights and I like um, Heaven and Hell and whatnot, but that album per se, I think he got it. And you can't, I, I mean, you can't beat Paranoid. Paranoid's great, but I, my favorite by far that I still listen from top to bottom is uh, the humanizer. Well, Dehumanizer is an interesting one because there was so much conflict behind the scenes during that recording. And there were, you know, Iomi and, and Giza wanted one thing and, and Dio and, um, and Vinny wanted something else. And they're, they're, they just didn't get along. And I think that tension produced a really, really great album. But sadly, you know, they split at the end of that tour. Uh, and uh, do, can you tell me a little more about the tension? I know this is not 
what we were supposed to be talking about, but now I want to hear more. <laughs> well, so I know at one point Dio walked out of the recording and they brought in Tony Martin, who had done the previous two or three albums before Dehumanizer with Sabbath. And they, they brought him back in to re-record Dio's uh, vocal lines. What? And yeah, those tapes are out there somewhere in Tony Iommi's vault. And um, yeah, eventually they kind of kissed and made up and brought Dio back. But when they then went out on tour, they wanted, you know, Ozzy was doing his, um, his No More Tours tour. Yes. And um, Sabbath were invited to basically be Ozzy's support act. And Dio said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I am not going to go and eat crow and worship at the altar of Ozzy. I am the singer, singer of Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath is better as a band than Ozzy is a solo, and we are better than this. And he refused to do it. Yeah, and uh, so, was, weren't they trying to do something like what uh, Anthrax was trying to do also? They were trying to have Ozzy come out and do a couple songs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did read yeah. that, and that Dio was like, fuck that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, in the end, they got Rob Halford to do the shows, and those shows are out there on YouTube in terrible quality, but they are fucking awesome. I'm assuming, yeah. Like hearing Halford singing uh, "Heaven and Hell" is phenomenal. Yeah, I'm just having chills just thinking about it. <laughs> that sounds pretty badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spe speaking of having balls of steel, so that said that Led Zeppelin sucks. I didn't say they sucked. I said, <laughs> I, said, I said they were the lesser of the three bands, which was a controversial statement because, you know, there are a ton of people who think Led Zeppelin are the greatest band of all time and, and anyone with half a brain knows that that's dead right. <laughs> that's right. But, um, yeah, so I, I made that statement and uh, that did not go down well with the room. Got it. Now, was there a specific um, kind of... Um, a, a balance of which you tiered Zeppelin to be the worst of the three. Like what, what was it that held the other two bands up higher in your regard than Zeppelin? So I think that Sabbath and purple were a lot more interesting. Honestly, they, they were innovative. Whereas Zeppelin were virtuoso mu musicians who really just took a kind of blues rock formula and took it to the next level. Whereas with, Sabbath, you know, they basically started, in my opinion, they, they were where metal came from. They were the first metal band. They, you listen to that first Sabbath album and you've got that kind of doom laden atmosphere that eventually leads on to kind of doom metal, sludge metal, stoner rock. Their influence is huge. And then on Purple, you know, you've got songs like Child in Time, which is very proggy. Or you go a little later to Marks 3 and 4 and you start getting a li little more of a funk uh, element to it. So for, for me, they're just more ex experimental and I find that a lot more interesting. So judging by your question, how, how much do you disagree about what he said, Paul? Well, I'm not really disagreeing. That's why I was kind of curious of how he felt because I, I believe Zeppelin was the first of the three, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were. I think I think they're about. Well, I think Purple were the first, but by the time they moved to their kind of famous Mark II lineup, Zeppelin were around. So by the, by the time Purple were getting into their groove, I think Zeppelin had already uh, released their first album. Right. Um, I mean, I don't I don't disagree, and I don't um, 
I don't kind of completely agree with what he said, but um, Zeppelin is a more rock blues based kind of sound and they were experimental, but that was based upon what Jimmy Page did, you know, let alone the band as a group kind of creating a sound. Zeppelin was kind of this rock entity that kind of hit everything where Deep Purple, like you said, was more proggy with the keyboards and kind of their arrangements, you know, using kind of more neoclassical kind of uh, writing style. And Sabbath was very doomy, stoner, and kind of, you know, paved the way for heavy metal in general. Um, Though Zeppelin is always coined as being one of the first or, you know, heavy metal bands, I never thought they were that heavy. But given the time period that they came out in, I could see where the perception was that. But I never fully agreed that Zeppelin was, you know, considered demonic or, you know, heavy metal in that fashion. I always felt that Sabbath was really the one that kind of crowned that. And what's interesting there, Paul, is that was something we kind of talked about in the panel in that Sabbath were kind of a lot more out and out, um, putting out the satanic imagery almost as a showpiece, whereas Zeppelin had these little little references to people like Aleister Crowley and to alchemy in kind of their album art that was all kind of hidden. Yeah. So it was, it was there, but it wasn't like upfront. Right. And I, and I feel like Sabbath kind of just punched you in the face. Whereas Zeppelin, when they were a little bit more subtle, you know, they had their little Lord of the Rings lyrics within things and, you know, all that kind of, you know, uh, dreary kind of mystical, you know, stuff, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't kind of like, okay, here it is, as much as Sabbath did, so. So, checking online, yeah. Deep Purple for, formed in 1967, and uh, Led Zeppelin formed in 68, but that doesn't mean that they were popular. And I think Purple really took off once they moved into their Mark II lineup, and Ian Gillen and, um, and Roger Glover joined the band. Yeah, which was I think sixty nine seventy that kind of time period. So they were kind of taking off at roughly the same time, right? Well, the other thing is is that Jimmy Page was in the Yardbirds prior to doing Zeppelin. Yeah, so he had I think a little bit of momentum with that starting out, and people knowing who they were before any of the other people were even known at all. Got exactly. It. So his sixty eight was actually sixty eight. Because people were like, oh, let's check out the new thing that the dude from the Yardbirds is doing. Right. I mean, and, you know, people like Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton came from the same band. So you had kind of this rock blues kind of catalog of guys coming out and playing, you know, newer, you know, more inventive kind of rock music. You know, whereas, like I said, Sabbath came out and was just like, here, boom. <laughs> Hail Satan. Here's Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> the Yardbirds are interesting because they're almost like a, a reverse supergroup. You know, the musicians that came out of the Yardbirds are ridiculous, but they were in that band before they became who everyone knows them as now. Right. Yeah. yeah when you when you look at who played the Yardbirds, I was like, really? He did? And he did? Exactly. Awesome. So um, now that you've pissed off the rest of the people that you haven't pissed off yet. <laughs> Sweet. Um, That's my yes. main goal in life. <laughs> Very awesome. Hey, I pissed off whoever got offended by that uh, Bible comment.
<laughs> so we're on a right track to a one star. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. So let's talk about killers. Yes. Um, sorry, guys. I sent you the notes so late. It's been one of those weeks. It's fine. I was yeah. I was up listening to the album uh, last night, and I did kind of the Wikipedia search on it, just the same to kind of give myself, you know, a little heads up on stuff. So I wasn't completely in the dark this morning when I got it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I re-listened to it uh, in the car yesterday, and then again this morning to try and make sure I was really familiar with it. Yeah, I, I listened to it about two hours ago myself. <laughs> so um, when I was searching to see how many how many copies of Killers I had, <laughs> I found that I have the Castle Records version. I forgot that I bought those in 1995, 96, whenever the hell they came out. And it has Made in England on CD. Oh, cool. I was so excited. <laughs> Yeah, let me, I have it right here. It has um, here's here's the track list, and this will this will fumble your Columbus. It <laughs> it has the whole album, and then it has uh, an extra CD, and then that extra CD has Women in Uniform. It has Invasion, Phantom of the Opera, Running Free, Remember Tomorrow, Ratchet Killers, and Innocent Exile Live, which is uh, made in England. Made in Japan. Wow. Yeah. I know. It is so exciting. I only need to search for uh, one thing. I'm excited. Anyway, how did you guys get a hold of Killers? I was, It was the same thing. I got a hold of Killers before I got the first album. Um, I mean, I would have got it in my... Uh... I made and listened through as a teenager. I didn't really go in order. And honestly, at this point, I don't really remember where in my journey I got Killers. Uh, I know it was after Brave New World and it was definitely after the debut album, but it could have been anywhere amongst the rest. So it would have been around 2002-ish, I would think. Okay. Okay. I forget that you started literally late. <laughs> Oh yes. Shit. Yes. Oh, uh, and Polly, Polly, Polly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm way later than that. I mean, I never really I mean, I had listened to Maiden before, but not really listened to the discography or the albums in general till sadly say, you know, sometime 2008, 2009. Who are you people? <laughs> like I said, I was huge in the death metal. So like Maiden was there and known, but it was never really on the real radar. So it wasn't until I started playing in cover bands and doing, you know, covering songs like Wasted Years and things like that, where I really started kind of, you know, you know, finding, you know, finding the albums online and, um, you know, putting them on my iPod and whether, you know, and uh, listening to them. So for me, it was way late in the game. And as far as the order, I mean, I think I just did discographies of everything and I just listened through them. So I don't I don't know necessarily that I listened to, you know, any of them in any order other than oh, I know this track off of this album from years ago and I would listen to that and then, you know, see how it went. So nice. Cool. Maybe next next time we should do the um, full discography of Anal Cunt. 
should, <laughs> should be up to date on that one. I mean, you know, they, they've never quite beaten their career highlights of pottery is gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good stuff, though. <laughs> yeah. How many of those albums do you have, Paul? Um, I probably have about three or four of them. The, uh, the lead, I believe the lead singer actually died uh, a number of years ago, so they haven't done anything since no! then. No! Boo! Yeah, yeah, I can't remember how he, or how or why, but yeah, I remember reading something about him uh, passing in some capacity. Not uh, cool. Yeah, well, that's, you know, when you're, <laughs> you're in a grindcore band, man, that's kind of... <laughs> Kind of the life you lead sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like P and Gigi Allen in a punk band, you know, you just kind of, you kind of go with it and shit happens. Well, I mean, maybe he died of natural causes. Okay, very- so moving on. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was taking a drink. <laughs> this album, they didn't do any instrumentals. So this one has two. No, they did. They did Lost for Words. They yeah. Number of the Beast does not have any instrumentals, which kind of threw me off for a second when I when I was looking. I was talking to somebody. I was telling them, "Well, after this album, they don't do any instrumentals." And then somebody was like, "Lost for Words." So it's like, "Fuck, yes, they did." But this album is the only one to have two instrumentals. The shortest song in Iron Maiden's catalog, "Ides of March," it's right there opening, which is super fucking sweet. And um, it opens with Ratchow, which to me is one of the best songs ever written. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we covered that song? So many times. I mean, between, you know, Driven, Dead Rights, and Priest of the Iron Reich, I think I've, uh, that's probably my most played Iron Maiden cover ever. (laughs) I mean, Rothschild, I mean, you said it, Roddy, it's a phenomenal song. That bass groove that just leads into it like damn so sweet damn Ugh. and then after that we go into murders in the rumor which is low-key one of my favorite maiden songs so hank before we talk about murders i think on Rothschild it says a lot that it's the only song off of this album that iron maiden still play regularly in live shows to this day it's so sad, though, because it has so many other songs I want to hear. But yes, it's so yeah. good. They did not play it the last time they were here. Oh, that's disappointing. Very much so. But they did play the the the, the, the previous time. I don't think they played it on the last two tours. Mm. But they I mean, did add Revelations. I'm cool with that. I, I think that's the problem when you're Iron Maiden and you literally have, you know, what is it, like 15 albums worth of material and there are very few bad songs in there how do you choose what you're going to play in a two-hour set yep ask paul when we're making a set for <laughs> yeah <it's kinda laughs> like, well i want to play that but no and uh no but we want to play it now and yeah we, it's a constant it, struggle to find the right set list with stuff yeah we have four fucking albums and and we're still struggling i can't imagine having a catalog of a thousand like maiden does <laughs> yeah cannot I cannot. Uh, uh, before we get too far, do we want to uh, touch on the fact that uh, the Ides of March is like almost a complete ripoff of the um, Samson song? <laughs> oh, yeah. Thunder, Thunder Cunt? What was it called? Th- Thunder Burst. Thunder Burst. Yes. 
which um, I, I I listened to this morning because I didn't have a clue what it was. And aside from the very kind of beginning part of it, I mean, it couldn't be more identical other than Iron Maiden, I think, did a better job, um, in my opinion, just because the guitars came out, you know, cleaner and clearer. And I feel like the harmonies made a, uh, a lot more difference. I, uh, yeah. Didn't the drummer or the, the drummer played with Maiden for a while. Right. And I was going to say, that's the thing with these, you know, new wave of heavy, of British heavy metal bands. They had so much cross-pollination in members. Like, you're going to get stuff that sounds the same or was written for one band, gets played in another. It just happens. I have not heard Thunderburst. Right. Okay. I have not heard that song, but I will, I will make it a point to give it a listen. Give it the ghoul ear, like Buzz said. Um, and check out and see and see how similar it is. But yeah, well, if you look at, at Thunderburst, the, the credits for it are Bruce Dickinson because he was in Samson at the time, Paul Samson, who was obviously the guitarist for Samson, Chris Elmer, the bass guitarist for Samson, Thunderstick, their drummer, and Steve Harris. They're the people credited on the Samson version of, uh, of the track. I see. So on the Samson version, I think but, on Ki- I think on Killers it's solely credited to Steve Harris. Yes. <laughs> so the Thunderstick and the song is called Thunderburst. Yes. Okay, I want to have a song called Radu Burst. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck, guys! You're gonna have to negotiate that one on your own time. <laughs> oh, damn it! That was good because you can smooth talk him into saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, murders in the room org. Murders in the room org. I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another fun one to cover. Yep, you did that one too. When you guys were um, covering that, I was like, "Fuck, I want to do that." Yeah, I mean, it, it's a little trickier than uh, Ratchild, but it's definitely just as fun. And you know, it's it's super upbeat and a lot faster than you think. Um, especially playing it, you know, because it's, you know, it's kind of upbeat on the album, but when you're playing, you're like, okay, I got to breathe for a second. You know, you kind of forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. For me. So if you think about the original release on vinyl, right. So side one was the first six tracks up to innocent exile. And Mm -hmm. for for me, murders in the room walk as the third track. And please don't kill me for saying this, guys. Mm-hmm. Is honestly the last really great track on side one. Okay. For me, after that, it kind of gets a bit boring. Okay. Until you switch over to side two. But yeah, the rest of side one just doesn't do it for me. Whereas Murders in the Room Org is punchy. It's got that speed that Paul was just talking about. It's a really, really fucking great track. Okay. So... The only thing I will disagree about the statement that you just said is that I really like, uh, I always fuck this name. Let's say Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Yeah, Khan! (laughs) Um, Yeah, Genghis Khan. I like Genghis Khan, but those three songs, I don't know when they begin and when they end in the album. Yeah, and that's the exact same problem I have is they, they blend into one. They don't stand apart from each other. And yeah. when that happens, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. 
Not not a big fan of. Um, I like some parts from Innocent Exile, but then then Killer shows up. And the blood rushes to my nether regions. <laughs> Typical Ruddy. Probably one of my favorite Maiden songs ever recorded. Always watch so, the cover. So hang on, I, I, Paul. I know me and Roddy basically skipped over another life through Innocent Exile. Do you have anything to add on those? No, I mean I kind of, you know, like I said, re-listening to it even twice through, I kind of agree. I enjoy Genghis Khan as the instrumental, and Innocent Exile has a few good parts, but I kind of agree that you know they kind of you get through Murders in the Rue Morgue, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, Killers, okay, <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, you're kind of listening through, and I'm like, all right, this isn't bad. It's not super great, but it's not garbage. Um, but it's th- there's nothing as, you know, like I said, Genghis Khan is the only one of those three that really grabs me. Um, yeah. You know, the instrumental, but I I don't have any particular, you know, you know uh, greatness out of the other, out of them. So, and here's the, the issue that I had, and, and I'm sure most people had at the time. I had this album. I didn't have it in vinyl. I had it in cassette. So I didn't know where the fuck the songs ended and started. So it's like Another Life kind of jumps really quick into Genghis Khan and then Innocent Exile. So by the time it got to Innocent Exile, I knew that was Innocent Exile. I didn't know where Another Life ended and Genghis Khan ended. It was a hassle for me to fast forward from Murders in the Rumor to the end of the tape to get to Killers. Yeah. So I was offended. But <laughs> other than that, I would listen to them as a, as a one full song. Like another live gang is coming in the next time. Fuck it. Just hear it as, as, as what it was. There <laughs> was a stop on Genghis Khan. So I kind of found out where the other one when I got the vinyl, then I was like, oh, okay, this is this, this is this, and this is that. But for the first year that I owned this album, I only owned it in tape. So I had no clue. So I've actually got the vinyl right in front of me because I was checking to see if I had it. And have you, sorry, I'm, I'm going way off topic here, but have you guys like read the, the thanks and so on on the vinyl? I have not. I think no. I have the vinyl. So Tell Steve, me. so Steve Harris is a massive um, fan of uh, West Ham Football Club or soccer, as you guys would say over here. And there's one guy who's credited, and I'm a huge Arsenal fan. And there's one guy who's credited as Keith, bloody Arsenal supporter Will Fort. I'm like, oh, that resonates. Sorry, off topic, but <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> So anyway, sorry about that little sidetrack. No, that's fine. Somebody no, has that's to do fine. It's interesting. But yeah, it's, it, uh, that's one of the things I always loved about Maiden is they have a sense of humor. Which their sense of humor got turned up to a thousand when they got uh, Nico into the band. Yeah. <laughs> and Bruce. And Bruce as well. I mean, And Bruce. Bruce. So we're going to ignore those other we're not ignoring them we're just skipping them they're not bad songs of course um but we're gonna go to killers and then the way killers starts Mm. those screams i mean that 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 could be the start of the album yeah 
But Ice of March is such a good way to start. I mean, I think, you know, it being on originally on vinyl, like it doesn't really matter which order you listen to the sides on because it works either way. The Ides of March works as a great opening track, as does Killers. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't really think about it because nowadays you just kind of put it as one package. But back then you had A and B. So that actually makes probably a lot more sense of why it was listed that way. Yeah. You are correct. And they, I use, I read an interview with, I think it was with Bruce when they were saying that now that they're doing that with the advent of CDs, it's time to start thinking about a full um, lineup of songs instead of side A and side B. No, it was with Kiss. It was Paul Stanley. You guys can take over for the next uh, three tracks uh, because I... Um, well, four tracks if you count the American version, but I am not super familiar with Prodigal Son. I've heard it a couple times and I like it, but it's not in my heavy rotation. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'd have to say uh, it's not in my heavy rotation, but after listening to it, it is the most kind of rush-sounding song that I think I've ever heard Maiden do. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the way it starts out, it sounds super proggy, and it has that kind of, um, I don't know, just element of, you know, whatever the chords were. I didn't look directly deep into the theory of it, but it was like a cross between Rush and Steve Vai when I started hearing the chord progression at the beginning of the song. And I just kind of thought to myself, this kind of stands out way more than anything, I think, in most of their catalog, or at least the early catalog of Iron Maiden, so... Do I of you guys know if, if the guys from Maiden were Rush fans? I mean, obviously, by the time this album came out, Rush had been around for nearly 10 years. Oh, wow. I mean, it's it's very possible. I mean, Steve Harris is a bass player and Getty Lee. So, I mean, yeah, it's very get- possible there could have been a, a minor influence. But I've never heard anybody in Iron Maiden say anything really about Rush in general. No, there was another prog band that they that they that Steve loves, and I am going through my brain right now trying to remember. What Uriah Heep? No, I think they like Uriah Heep. Not sure. Um, I just did a quick search to see if I could find anything on Iron Maiden and Rush, and not directly related. But when Bruce Dickinson was being treated for cancer, his uh, his doctor apparently said, "You know, I don't." not listen to Iron Maiden, but I listen to more Rush. He actually said that to Bruce Dickinson, which I think is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm online, with you on... Online, it says um, his influence, Steve Harris's influences include Black Sabbath, Deep, Deep Purple, Emerson Lake and Palmer, Genesis, Jethro Tull, um, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Thin Lizzy, Uriah Heep, UFO, Wishbone Ash, and Yes. Okay, so there's a lot of prog in that. Yes. Even if it's not Rush. Yeah, I'm a huge prog fan. Nice. What do you listen um, to? So I've really, I mean. King Crimson! I, King Crimson! King Crimson! Oh, yeah, there. there <laughs> yeah, so King that's Crimson. Steve Harris's big influence that you were thinking of? Yes! Yes. King yes. Crimson are great. But for, for me, it was those first um, five Genesis albums with Peter Gabriel on vocals. Those are absolute masterpieces. And some of them, some of those tracks are surprisingly heavy. 
Nice. Something like The Knife or uh, The Musical Box have some really heavy parts to them. Some great solo uh, work from the guitarists. They're awesome. Twilight Zone, I actually do like. But it's yeah. not part of the original. So, you know how last time I was talking about um, on the first album, there was that track that wasn't on the, on the version I had as a teenager? Yes. So, Sanc- Sanctuary. So, Twilight Zone was on the 98 remaster. Ah. So the version I first ever, first listened to, Twilight Zone was there. And when you sent me the show notes and I saw that it wasn't on the original, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so it's like the complete opposite of Sanctuary. So for me, the album without Twilight Zone sounds kind of weird. <laughs> but... I was ready to call this episode, Why Do You Hate My Twilight Zone? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, what's odd, though, is um, in iTunes... I have, you know, Killers on there, and it doesn't have Twilight Zone listed. Now, I have, um, I've just recently bought a new charger for my archaic iPod. Um, Woohoo! Yeah, um, which I'm super excited to have back working. I took it into the, uh, the store the other day to try and find a cable, and it was like um, people seeing caveman things. They were, <laughs> you know, they were like, dude, dude, you gotta you gotta show you know Joe over here. Dude, check it out, check it out, check out his iPod. It's ancient. You know, they're like <laughs> about it. I thought it was hilarious. I was like, it's an iPod, you know, 80 gig, you know, but whatever. Um, I'm just looking for a charging cable. But anyway, the version of Killers I have on my iPod has Twilight Zone on it. Yes. Same same deal for me. The version on Spotify that I listen to doesn't and then the version I have on my iTunes that was, you know, just ripped from the CD does. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, I had the version, well, I had the US version, 1980-something, so it did have Twilight Zone. So I don't get it. Why do they do this? If the 1995 version had Twilight Zone, no. if the 1982 <laughs> version had Twilight Zone, why don't we have it? On the, was it the 2015 remaster, I think? Yeah. 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 It just makes no sense, especially if you're doing the U.S. version. Right. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I just find it odd that, you know, the first two albums, they both have this random track that is and isn't available for everybody to see. The Phantom track. <laughs> and of course, Twi- Twilight Zone, I think, was the B-side on uh, Women in Uniform. Or at least one version of really? the single. Uh, at least I thought it was. Maybe it wasn't. Was no, it an invasion? It, it was invasion. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting things mixed up. Ignore yeah. me. Hey, it's fine. I I I I I, I shit. But Twilight Zone was a single in its own right. So okay. it was available as a single. Yep, and it had the best um, poster. Yes, I really like that poster. I, if I if I can put my hands on that poster right now, I would definitely get it. Not I thought you I, I thought you were going to say if you could get your hands on it, you would be touching yourself. But you know, <laughs> well, after I get the poster and I get a hero, I'll be touching myself. There you go. Yeah, duh. It's in. It's a process. You have to first get the poster. Gosh, that that that, that that's some foreplay to this. There is some foreplay. Yeah, I'll, I'll be touching my nipples while doing the order. <laughs> take it from there. <laughs> Uh, uh, Purgatory and Drifter. I 
really here's something fucking funny. I love I love both songs. I hate the live version of Drifter. I for me Purgatory, oof, it's my favorite track on the album. Yeah, so good. It, it's and it, I don't think it gets the love it deserves. You know, it's got that speed. It's it's got. I mean, Diano's vocals are fucking phenomenal through it. It's just. It's the highlight of the album for me. Yes, I, I, agree. I agree. Can we talk about the live version of Drifter? Sure. <laughs> what is up with yo, 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 yo? Is this the, uh, which, which live version is this? Are we uh, talking about? Just, it was one that was released sometime. It just kind of ruined the song for me. Is it, yo, is it Bruce yo, or? Yo, yo, Is it Bruce or is it? Um, it's Paul. It's Paul. Paul. It's Paul. It's Paul. Paul, <sighs> damn you, Paul. Yeah, must have been. I must have been on the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think by that time he was like actively trying to get himself kicked out. So <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere. I want to say it was in the book. Yeah, it was in the book that when they were about to go on stage at a couple of important shows, he would be like, "I'm fainting," and he just fainted, and they would be like. Get the fuck up, mate. And he's like on the floor, like, oh, I'm passed out. <laughs> he just didn't want to do the show. He wanted everything except the playing part. Yep. <sighs> so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, you know what's going to happen next Dead Right show? Rodu's yeah. just going to be like, nope, not doing it. Nope, I don't feel like it. I'm fainting. Yeah, well, he's, kinda, <laughs> he's already intermittently done that a few times as it is. So That's right. When I want to play a show, I feign that I'm dying on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not have that happen again. God yeah. damn it. Okay. Yeah, that was not, you know, second song in, minute and a half, and all of a sudden I see Radu falling off the stage face first, rolling onto the floor, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like everything seemed to be going so well and our show is over uh here come the paramedics and let's get radu out of here real quick yay <laughs> rock and roll woo! so i'm just gonna go back and i'm gonna have a couple shots of whiskey now i'm freaked out and uh, <laughs> uh yeah. and i wish it was because of cocaine yeah <laughs> it would have made it least... so much better yeah, it will be so much better if you could just send me to rehab and it'll be over. <laughs> or at least, you know, more kind of easily explainable. Yeah. 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 We need to do a podcast on that one day just so we can sit down and discuss that. But I don't think anybody gives enough of a shit for that just yet. No. Some, some, um, I guess the people who were there probably would. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Everybody and their brother was kind of like, uh... What are we? Uh, what are we supposed to be doing now? Holy shit! Um, <laughs> is it? Was this part of the stage act, or is he really passed out? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, no, no bueno. No, no bueno at all. I really like this album. Like, this is you're gonna hear this a lot during the next. I don't think. I think. I don't think I dislike a maiden album which is hilarious because we're going to eventually get into the Blaze Bailey albums that everybody hates. Hey, hey now. Those are, fi- those are fighting words. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me, this lacks the punch of the first album. It doesn't feel like a progression. 
for the most part. You know, for me, the first album is incredibly solid all the way through. And this feels, I mean, this has some standout tracks, but uh, in other parts, it feels like they're almost trying to replicate it. And that's not what I love about Maiden. What I love about Maiden is they do something different with almost every album. Okay. I, I, I agree. I think the first album was way better. By far. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Roddy. I, I don't think they've done a bad album. They've just done some really amazing albums and some good albums. Yes. And for me, this is a good album, but it's not amazing. So when I was doing the... Trying to find it. When I was doing the horror movie, quote-unquote, review, which weren't really reviews because I don't... I can't review stuff. Like, I cannot sit and tell like i understand what it takes for you to record an album do a podcast to fucking do a movie all the hard work that you're putting for then me to come in here completely naked in my house (laughs) eating chips be like ah that sucks (laughs) fuck that i i can't i can't so i kind of say let's discuss Yep. Um, because I can't, uh, I just can't. And we had on the horror movie review or thing, we had a bar that we set for the for the movies. We can use that for this. It was holy fuck balls, mass <laughs> arousal, a chubby, <laughs> eh. And fuck this shit. So we can definitely say that Iron Maiden's first album was Holy Fuckball. What will we call this one? I would say with a couple of tracks, probably, uh, you know, probably the Chubby. Chubby? Yeah, I'm somewhere between between a Chubby and Air, oh. I think. I, I for, for me, what really drags this down is, as I said, are, are those three tracks at the end of side one. Okay. Um, I, 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 I'm leaning more towards the Chubby. Okay, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm I'm between a chubby and a masseral. I guess I'm easier I'm easy to please. Well, the one thing I will say that I do really enjoy about this is the the music front of it. You really start to get the Iron Maiden sound. Like the first album, kind of was like here's everybody. Now we're kind of getting into production, where the production is starting to sound more Maiden. Um, and then obviously when, you know, the next album comes out with Bruce and, you know, everything like that, then we really, you know, go up. But I think, you know, because the other point that you had point, uh, made was, uh, the producer and engineers, this guy's on the table until, what was it? Fear of the Dark comes out. Martin Birch. Yeah. So I feel like that in itself kind of gauges you know kind of where things are going so we kind of start here and then we progress with him as the producer and engineer um going on forward so we kind of you know made and kind of made their sound on the first album and you know hit and miss with a few tracks but i think with the guitar lineup and everything we start to start that progression with the production and everything going forward yeah and i think you know Paul, you mentioned Paul Birch. I think he is so important because you look at what a coup it was to get him because he was 
he had a great career so far as an engineer and then a producer. He had been an engineer on a lot of Deep Purple's albums and then co-producer. He had been a co-producer and then sole producer on the first four Rainbow albums. Uh, he'd done a bit of work with Whitesnake. He'd been the producer on the first two Dio Sabbath albums, Heaven and Hell and The Mob Rules. Like he was a getting to be a big name producer in the world of hard rock and metal. Jeez. And Iron Maiden get them on his second on their second album. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think that really kind of upped the ante. So the production value and everything kind of goes up from here. Yeah, I think that might almost be part of the problem for me. Honestly, I think of Dio Maiden, not Dio Diano. Sorry, Diano <laughs> uh, Maiden as kind of raw, unpolished, and then this. I, I always think of the first album and then I think of the Bruce era as being, you know, a bit more polished, a bit better produced. So this, this album just doesn't quite work for me because it's not what I expect going into it in terms of the production values. It's a, it's a little too good for Diano. Right. So it's funny that you would say that because uh, I think part of, the reason that I love Maiden so much is that I can find a, uh, I can find inspiration to uh, to continue my music career when sometimes it's like fuck me in the ass. It's not even worth it. One thing that I I will say is that I was very worried as Dead Rights was getting better production that my voice was going to have the same issue that Paul had between first album and second album because I think having him buried in the mix a, a, a little more as he was with the first album with that raw way with his raw vocals once he got into this album and his vocals were a little in the front front of your face it was it, you, you could actually see that the direction the band was going and the direction that he was going were, were different and i've always thought that as i see that rights going in a different direction because we literally started as a punk band and then we started veering into rock. And then we started veering into prog. And then we started veering into what we're doing right now. I've always worried that the cleaner, crispier the sound was, my vocals were not going to uh, continue on with what, what they're doing. And if you hear some of what Paul did right after he, lived, he left Maiden, uh, it was raw again. And... Uh, and it was like, wow, this is great because it was back to being raw. Then he stopped, you know, you know, that, that's a, a whole different show. But but yeah, I'm glad that you said that. I think that's one of the things that actually did hurt this. Album. Right. And we didn't even mention that this is the first album with Adrian, Adrian Smith. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think you really start seeing his influence until a little later, though, because this was for the most part written by, in fact, with Harris. the exception of, yeah. And yeah. he he doesn't really start sharing songwriting responsibilities until the next album, where there are three tracks written by or co-written with others. And then by, I think it's peace of mind, he's starting to share. Mm. Mm. I know peace of mind. So. I, I know that in peace of mind, we're going to have some issues. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I was, I was, I just Wikipedia'd uh, Mr. Martin Birch and looked at his discography of albums that he engineered and/or produced, mixed, whatever. And 
good God. This, <laughs> yeah. This guy has an incredible list of albums behind him. Um, I mean, like huge albums, huge, you know, huge bands, huge, you know, players, everything. Blue Easter Cult, Black Sabbath, Maiden, Whitesnake, Rainbow, Deep Purple, Fleetwood Mac, um, you know, Jeff Beck, Peter Green. Yeah. Uh, Skid Row. Uh, you know, Which Skid Row album did he do? 34 Hours. He was the engineer on that. 34 Hours? Oh, I think it was a different Skid Row. Yeah, this is, you know... A this Dublin, is a, the original Skid Row. Yeah, Dublin, yeah this is... Dublin-based blues rock band of the late 60s and 70s, fronted by guitarist Brendan Brush Shields. Yes. Yes. It had Gary Moore and Phil Liner in it, though. Correct. It is particularly yes. notab- notable for being the band in which both Phil Liner and guitarist Gary Moore first played professionally. The other Skid Row. Yeah, Cozy the Cow. Other Skid Row. Yeah. There's a Gary Moore album. I mean, yeah, apparently. I didn't know anything about the guy till now, so. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a, he's a beast. He's a beast. The fact that he stayed with them and uh, the fact that he told them when when he when he talked to Steve, he said, "I would have done your first album." And he's like, "Why didn't you?" It's like you never asked. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah, great lessons there. You you never know. What can they tell you? No, perfect. At least you tried. Yeah. So that was a busy year for him too, because he did Mob Rules from Sabbath, uh, Blue Oyster Cult's Fire of Unknown Origin, and he did Killers for Iron Maiden. Shit. Yeah. Oh, and, That's all he did. Oh, sorry. And come and get it from White Snake. He was a busy guy in 1981. Those those little albums. Yeah. Like good yeah. God. Like that was a that was a huge year. <laughs> and Fire of Un- Fire of Unknown Origin has my favorite Blue Oyster Cult song on it. So and what, can't complain. Which song is that? Veteran of the Psychic Wars. Yes. That, <laughs> that, that drum beat on there is just fucking awesome. Yeah. They, I, I, you know, not, not that we're on topic anymore, but, <laughs> but Blue we've never Cold, been. We were there for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Blue Easter Cold is one of those bands that I've always, they have such a, a sound within themselves that um, you feel it. Like you just, like you get that kind of, um, like you're on the front line being the veteran in that song. Yeah. Um, Blue Oyster Cult was so ahead of their time. It's yeah. not even funny. Like they were steps ahead. You read their lyrics and you're like, wow, this is wow. And their, you know, their, their whole imagery and the whole things they were, they were just way ahead of their time. Like if they came out in 1984, they would have been as popular or more as they were when they came out. Because yeah. they were just trendsetters at that time. It's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, you know, you look at them as an influence even now. I think there's a very heavy uh, influence from them on Ghost, as an example. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. And yep. And the, uh, the hilarious thing is, though, is in an interview with uh, Buck Dharma, which is kind of one of the main guys for them, they started out as a jam band. They wanted to be like the Grateful Dead. They, oh, no way. Yeah. The, his, his influence was from the Grateful Dead, and they were trying to be a jam band like them. 
and it just ended up progressing into what it is. And he was kind of mystified at the whole um, cult darkness, you know, and everything that kind of one surrounded their um, their name um, that he thought it was kind of funny that they were considered heavy and, you know, dark and satanic or, you know, or magical or what, whatever, you know, you want to coin them as. Um, that he always thought it was funny because they were just a, a jam band. They liked getting together and playing and wrote some songs. So I always found that kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of, um, I think it was on that metal show is where I heard that interview. Mm. Cool. So um, we've, we've talked for quite a bit. So uh, do, we, do we have any closing comments about um, Sweet Killers? Murders in the room, or <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, I would if we're if we're going to sing. I would attempt uh, Diano's screams at the beginning of Killers, but uh, no one needs to hear me try that. <laughs> that would just be embarrassing. But I don't know about that. This has some great tracks and some not so great tracks. Um, it's as Maiden albums go. It's it's good, not excellent. The difference, I think this album was a great preparation of what was to come on the next album. Because yeah. you were like, oh, I can't wait to hear what they're going to do. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> so, Anthony. Yes. Plug your shit. Oh, yeah. So uh, you can find me on the Watches in the Fourth Dimension podcast. Uh, we are a Doctor Who podcast watching the entire show from beginning to the end. Uh, we actually published our most recent episode, uh, on the day of recording, so today, uh, which is September 8th, uh, and that episode we are covering a serial called The Space Museum from 1965. Yay! Woo! Woohoo! <laughs> Paul, plug your shit! Uh, let's see, you know, deadrights.com. Uh, we've got the amazing EP out, and we've got awesome shirts and hoodies that are now available. So. Please go to the website, click the link, you know, talk to us. You know, if you've got any questions, we're here for you. Yeah, buy shit because we need to pay for this shit. <laughs> 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 All right. So same thing that Paul said. Yeah, deadrise.com or Instagram, Instagram, um, deadrise666. We're on Twitter as deadrites and on Facebook as deadrites. And that is D-E-A-D-R-I-T-E-S. And um, I'm going to make the links better for you to purchase stuff. Um, just haven't had a chance. So if you scroll a little in the website, you'll see the link that'll take you to where you can buy the hoodies and shirts and CDs. So you can listen to us everywhere. And uh, next week, I'll have some special thanks to some radio stations that have been playing us. But that is for next, uh, maybe for the bonus episode. Anyway. Thank you, uh, guys, for taking some time out from this uh, beautiful Sunday morning to talk to me. And uh, we will talk to you next week. And everybody out there, thank you for uh, paying attention. See you guys on the road. Bye. Until next time. Bye. 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 Bye.